So take your Bibles this morning. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and we're in chapter 3. And if you open up there, we're going to be around verse 22. Last week we talked about, the, the discussion was there were the two family discussions that uh, we looked at that uh, they thought Jesus had lost it. They were coming to seize him. The word there kind of means arrest him. They were going to take him away and help him get back in his right mind because they kind of thought he lost it. And, uh, and so we looked at those family things and, and we talked about that. And then we came to a part that I said, we're going to skip that and come back to that this week. So this is the part we're going to come back to and, uh, and take, a, take a look at. Um, there's this fascinating insert here in the Gospel of Mark about the tone and accusations that were coming down from the rulers of Jerusalem. If you look at verse 22, here's what they were saying. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And thus begins the discussion uh, through what spirit Jesus is doing the things that he's doing. In other words, how is he able to accomplish this? Uh, what's giving him his power? And thus is introduced uh, the fascinating and very important person of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, in a very negative light, I might add. Okay, So let's pray this morning. Uh, to that very same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who will lead us in our time together. Would you join me? Father, when we come and gather before you, we know you're listening, you're watching, and we know that you're in us. But often we don't stop to think long enough about how you're in us, that it is your Holy Spirit that indwells us, that you have put that deposit in us, and therefore we recognize you, we recognize your Son, we often forget about the Holy Spirit. And you're going to talk about that in these passages today. And uh, it's something that was very important and very powerful for you. And I pray that it would catch our attention as well. And so, uh, again, be among us. Lord, walk among us, have a conversation, lead the dialogue, and we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, so... Just to back up a second, as I mentioned before, so the scribes, the fact that the scribes are coming down from Jerusalem was a big deal, right? Uh, Nazareth, Galilee, that kind of area, it was kind of a backwater area. Jerusalem was the hub, the power, that's where everything really is. Uh, just think of going from Washington, D.C. to Louisiana and you kind of got the picture, right? And, and, and nobody went there unless you actually had to go there. And so they are coming down. They have to go here because of what is taking place with uh, Jesus. The fact that Jesus' ministry reached their ears isn't surprising. Uh, any more than the fact that their reaction was negative. And you say, well, why, why would that be true? Well, they had already been set on edge by John the Baptist's ministry. Remember that? This didn't happen in a vacuum. John was a rock star. Thousands upon thousands came out to see John's ministry and they were being baptized in the Jordan River. So they knew very well about John and they knew um, what he was saying. And uh, remember, John had called them a brood of vipers, a, a snake pit, subtle but effective, right? Uh, did you see that story in the news uh, this week of the family in Texas that uh, the guy knew something was wrong in the basement, so he had a buddy come over, and the buddy went down the hole, saw a snake jump right back out of the hole. 
right? And they had to call an extermination company because they found out that they didn't have one snake in their basement. They had 45 snakes in their basement. Can you imagine? Rattlesnakes, okay? Rattlesnakes in their basement, okay? So when John's talking about a brood of vipers, he's talking about the Pharisees being that type of pit. They didn't take too kindly to that. He said to them, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's to come? You're a bunch of rotten trees. The axe is already set to chop you down because of your lack of fruit. And so they, their teeth were on edge. They were already uh, upset. And the stuff Jesus was doing just provoked them further. It just made it even more irritating. Uh, Jesus was and actually became a bigger, a bigger problem for them than John was. And so they were not happy campers. Okay? So when they were coming down, it was not for a picnic. They were coming down to set things right. It, we can probably infer that they got the report from the scribes that came from the incident with the man with the withered hand. Right? Jesus said, extend your hand and heal that guy's hand. And, and we know from that story that uh, they left with the stated desire of wanting to destroy him, destroy Jesus. They, they were uh, instantly on the opposite side of that equation. So it's hardly surprising that the leaders from Jerusalem, when they came down, they came down with both barrels blazing, right? They're going to let Jesus have it. They're going to shut this thing down quickly. This is a big-time threat to them and their power. They do not like what's taking place. This is DEFCON 5. We're snuffing this thing out. And that's the tone you get from them. Uh, he's got to be stopped. And so they did uh, what we as humans always do. If you don't like what's going on, what do you do? You cast aspersions on something, right? And they cast aspersions on Jesus' miracles by saying, oh yeah, 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 he does miracles, all right. But do you know the reason he's pulling those things off? You know how he, you know he's getting away with this stuff? Well, it's because his power is from Satan. And he's trying to lead you away from us. We're your true spiritual leaders. And he's deceiving you, you foolish people. And he's trying to lead you away from us uh, who we've been commissioned by God. We are God's chosen. We are the children of Abraham. And so they're using all their legitimate titles to lay this thing out for why Jesus isn't legitimate. What they're saying is he's using the big D, the big devil, to cast out the little Ds, little devils. So it just looks like he's really doing something, but the truth is it's a shell game, Right? He's just swapping stuff for stuff and nothing's really happening here. He's just making you think something's happening and the spirit that he's doing it by is the spirit of the devil. He's using the occult to cast out the occult. It was a tactic to discredit Jesus again in the source of his power. Jesus does two things really quickly and we're going to see him right here in this text. First, he shows the utter foolishness of the statements with uh, this brilliant rhetorical comeback, Jesus loved this. He had a way of doing this. When someone would ask him a question, what would he do? He'd ask them another question. Right? And so we see Jesus flip this on them. They're saying, this is how Jesus is doing. So Jesus says, well, you're asking me a question. Let me ask you a question. And we find it here in verses 23 to 27. It says, he called to them and he said to them in parallels, parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he will plunder his house. The thought here is obvious. Why would Satan wreck his own kingdom? Why would he divide or split or destroy his own kingdom? Um, We've seen this happen, right? We've seen sporting teams uh, in our area fall apart. Right? They were championship teams and all of a sudden they just fell apart. Why? Because internal friction. They talk about the culture of the locker room and things went sideways. And what happened to the momentum and spirit of the team? Right? And, and it all fell apart and it had to be taken apart and rebuilt. Uh, we've seen homes split. We've seen families split. Right? And if the fighting, if they're fighting internally, that family won't stand or last. And so the same thing here. If Satan is undoing his own house, his own helpers, he's divided and coming to an end, Jesus says. So he, Jesus, sets the record straight about here. The next thing he does, who's conquering who? Let's, let's put this straight and get this right. He points out that no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may go in and plunder his house. Jesus is highlighting the fact that nobody can enter Satan's territory. We know scripture calls Satan the, king, the prince of the power of the air. And so he's given certain turf uh, on this planet. That Satan here is called the strong man. And plunder it. So no one can enter the territory and plunder it, as Jesus is saying, like I have been doing. Unless he first binds the strong men, which I, Jesus is saying, am doing to Satan right now. The one who plunders the strong man's house, uh, these people who you see have been set free, somebody's been plundering Satan's house, that's me. He can do so because he, Jesus, is greater and stronger than the strong man, which is Satan. In essence, then, what Jesus is saying is, your accusation is ridiculous. Okay? This isn't Satan fighting against Satan. This is God. And Jesus said, it's by the finger of God that I do these things. The second thing he does really quickly is set the record straight. He calls him out in the strongest possible language. Jesus was highly offended at their accusing the Holy Spirit of being an evil spirit. How do I know that? Well, look at the verses that follow. Okay, here in 28 and 30. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. These words up here on the screen are quite possibly the most powerful and scariest thing Jesus ever said. I don't know if you've ever read that before or looked at that before or thought about the impact of that before. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, 
but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. You know what's powerful about that? You know what uh, the word never means in Greek? Never. Okay? Whoever has done this is guilty of the unpardonable sin. Multitudes and generations of Christians have run around in circles, wringing their hands, wondering if they've committed the unpardonable sin. Right? You you might be one of them. Like, have I? Oh gosh, have I done that? And, you know, uh, the kind of thing. First of all, let's just put that to rest. If you are here this morning, here's a good clue for you. If you're here and you're worried that you have committed the unpardonable sin, it's probably a good clue that you haven't. All right? Because those who have done that really aren't thinking that way. So. That might help you. Um, But why such a strong injunction? Um, I like that word. By the way, I I used that word injunction, and then I realized I wasn't even sure what it meant. So I thought, well, I'll look it up, right? Go and grab a dictionary. What What does it look like? So I looked it up. Injunction is an authoritative warning or order. So it fits really well. It fits the context of what Jesus was talking about here. Again, the context is everything. Jesus was saying that those who blasphemed against the Holy Spirit never have forgiveness. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Well, why? Get the context here right. They were saying he has an unclean spirit. Who was it that was saying that? It was the Pharisees. In essence, they were calling the Holy Spirit who came upon Jesus at his baptism Wicked. Jesus, Jesus is usually pretty, right? We get Jesus wise. We get Jesus insightful. We get Jesus loving. As you read through the Gospels, a lot of great pictures about the nature and character of Jesus. Um, but if there was one thing that stirred his ire and got him ticked, it was this kind of thing. Falsely labeling and accusing the Holy Spirit that led and empowered him. And I want to suggest this morning that if we pay attention to what irked Jesus, it will help us because it will clue us into what and who was really important to him. Why would Jesus get so upset at this? Why would this kick the basket over, so to speak? What, what made this tip for him? Well, to understand that, we have to take a look at the Trinity. All right? uh, Christian theology teaches us that God is one, Yet he is three, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three are distinct, so you can see they're on the outside of the triangle. Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. When we think of, for example, gifts, Uh, The New Testament says that the Father gives the gifts, the Son gives the gifts, and the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. We almost always focus that on the Holy Spirit. And I'll come back to that point in just a second, but just lock that in your mind for a second. One God, three divine persons, and yet the three are distinct. They are one in substance, in essence, and in nature. Uh, The Expositor's Bible Commentary points out a really important fact. Nature... Nature is what one is, right? So they have the same nature. They are God. Person is who one is, right? 
So their natures are the same. They are God, but their persons are separate and distinct. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We call this the hypostatic union. And the reality is, human mind has no way to get around this thing. Okay, We've been trying for 2,000 years, still haven't figured it out, uh, because we don't operate that way. It's not the way we think, which just tells you that God is way bigger than we are and hasn't played all his cards yet. Father, I think, makes sense to us when we think about the Trinity because all of us have had fathers, or most of us have had fathers. Even if we've had bad fathers, we've had a father. And if we've had a bad dad, we can imagine what a good dad would be like. Just what's the opposite of bad dad? Let's imagine good dad. That would be a good father. And so when we say, our father who art in heaven, we, we think that way. We think of a dad. We think of a father. Son makes sense because many of us are parents and we've had sons. Uh, we've seen what sons look like. We uh, can look around the room and say, oh, son of Roger and Kara Cecil. Oh, right? Barry and Jamie Dawkins. Oh, son, we know what a son's like, right? We're, we're, we, we are aware of that. And so we have this, this human element that because God has drawn these pictures for us, we are able to understand it and wrap our head around God is Father, God is Son. If anybody in the Trinity gets a bad rap, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, for this, a couple of reasons. One, in the older translations, if you go to the old King James, he was called the Holy Ghost, right? Ghost is not the most positive image in the world, right? And even if it's Casper. And so, and if you laughed, you just gave your age away. Okay, so... But, you know, you think of a ghost, and that's, that's not necessarily a good thing. Ghosts are things you stay away from. So the Holy Ghost can't be that good. It must be something we should be scared of. So we have that. Uh, the most consistent image uh, that we have of him is that of a dove. If you think of the picture, we get this picture from the Gospels, right? When John is at the Jordan River and he's baptizing Jesus, John says, I saw the Holy Spirit come down and land on Jesus like a dove. That in itself is a picture. If you go all the way back to Noah and the flood of the world, uh, when Noah would send the dove out, it would fly out and uh, it would come back. And then on the seventh time when it came back, it had an olive branch in its beak. Remember that story? And so the dove, the olive branch symbolizes that the trees were back. It symbolized peace. And so the Holy Spirit is seen as uh, the one of peace in the Trinity. A dove is a picture of gentleness, purity, beauty, right? Not too many people are afraid of a dove, right? But while this is helpful, it also doesn't really help us because it still pictures the Holy Spirit as something different than the Father and the Son. Because the Father and Son, we can imagine as a person, the Holy Spirit is pictured here as an animal. And so we're like, eh, what's the Holy Spirit really like? To understand the Holy Spirit as a person, we need to um, consider some things about the Trinity. Track with me in the sinking and see if this makes sense to you. So let's talk about the significance of the Father. Jesus says in John 6 that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, it's God who draws people, uh, God the Father who draws people to himself. 
He puts that in motion. He put the plan of salvation into motion. All right? Then if you go to John 14, if you look at the significance of the Son, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John had, uh, John Hayes had up on the screen during worship time, the scriptures that says, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. That's the name of Jesus. Right? Jesus is saying the same thing. I'm the door, if you will. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is an exact representation of the Father. In other words, exact image, mirror image, we would call it. When you look in the mirror, you see yourself. When you look through Jesus, you see the Father. So Jesus said, I and the Father are one. When, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's telling Philip that. And he's saying, if you love the Father, you'll love me. If you love me, the Father already loves you. Why? Because we're one. That same oneness also applies to the Holy Spirit. Here's the significance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is having this dialogue with Nicodemus. You remember this story? And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, look, you understand people are born of people. They're born of flesh, right? Humans create humans. But there's another birth, a different kind of birth, Nicodemus, that you have to have. And that's being born again in your spirit. And the only way you can do that is to have that happen through the Holy Spirit, where you're born again in the spirit. Born flesh once, born spirit once. And he was trying to describe this life that comes from the Holy Spirit. So you can't get to the Father unless he draws you. And you can't get to the Father unless you come through Jesus. You can't skirt around Jesus to get to the Father. You have to come through Jesus to get to the Father if you want to be saved, if you want to know him. And you can't get to Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay? You can't do what you need to do to get to God the Father. Only the Holy Spirit can do that for you. It's called being born again. It's called giving you life that you hadn't had before. And it's the strangest thing to explain because uh, like when I was saved, I remember standing in that powdered milk factory at three in the morning and three feet of powdered milk. I met, the, I encountered the Holy Spirit. I literally could see him, but I couldn't see him, but I could see him and I can't describe that to you. Right? And those of you who've been there know what I'm talking about. You go, oh my goodness. And what's weird is everything's the same but everything is different when you know the Holy Spirit. It's a lot like when you're single and you fall in love. Everything's the same, but everything's different. Why? Because you're in love. Well, it's the same with God. When you fall in love with God, you're born again of His Spirit, you suddenly see things differently than the way you saw them before. So the Father draws, and the way to the Father is through Jesus, and the way to come to Jesus is to be born again by the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit's absolutely invaluable in this whole process of salvation. So it's a shame, I think, that for someone who has such a significant role, the Holy Spirit is the one who consistently gets mislabeled and misunderstood. He is perceived as the weird one of the Trinity. Right? I I bet you already when I started talk this morning and you heard I was going to talk about the Holy Spirit, you flinched. You went, are we going charismatic? Are we going over the edge? Are we we going to lose it here? What are we, tongues? Are we, oh my gosh, we have... Right? All those thoughts ran through your head. And I just say that to prove my point. We make the picture of the Holy Spirit weird, and I want to suggest to you, He's not. Now, where do we get some of that from? Well, we get some of that from uh, the Old Testament, right? Um, remember the prophets who laid on the ground? By the way, they were naked, and they were prophesying. We think, hmm, all right, trippy. Right? Not sure I want to do that, especially down at the town center, they're not thinking that's too cool, right? And so we think, well, if, I, if I'm overcome by the Holy Spirit, I've got to be really weird. Okay, now just a note on this. Just be careful. They were being obedient to God, all right? And God was ministering through them to other people. So uh, the Spirit of God came upon them, and we just got to be careful with that. But we're also well aware of distortions Today, right, and, and, and that have taken place in the name of the Holy Spirit in our era, in our culture. And so we're like, we've got our defenses up really high. Um, and I just want to say this. This is like so many other things in life. And you'll recognize as soon as I say this. Okay, the fact that weird or awful things have been done in the name of the Holy Spirit. And there have been weird and awful things done in the name of the Holy Spirit. It's no different than weird or awful things have been done in the name of Jesus or God the Father or church or religion. We live in a kind of a twisted world. That does not make the person weird or awful. It makes the people or persons who are twisting, makes them weird or awful. Who's doing the twisting here in this story? It's the Pharisees. They are the ones making the audacious claim that the spirit that Jesus was operating was wicked or awful. Therefore, the people ought to avoid that spirit like the plague when the exact opposite was true. What should they have done? Run to the spirit. They should have leaned into the spirit, gone towards the spirit, recognized the spirit that Jesus was working with. Such is the illustration this morning that we looked at. It was they who twisted, not the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit weird? The answer is no. Listen to me, people. I'm talking about someone who struggled with this and wrestled with this for 40 years. Is the Holy Spirit weird? No. I want to suggest the Holy Spirit's the most balanced person and personality in the universe. We'll talk more about that next week, but Oh, by the way, this is going to be a two-part thing. It started out as a one message, and it's morphed into two, right? So we'll come back again next week. But let's just do something really simple to help you, because you're already on edge and wondering, okay, what do we do with this now? Okay, let's, let's look at two things. Let's look at the names for the Holy Spirit, names of the Holy Spirit, and then let's look at the roles of the Holy Spirit. All right? The first name that we come up with is Comforter, the Paraclete. 
In 2 Corinthians, it says that God is the God of all comfort. And how does He comfort us? He comforts us with the Holy Spirit. If you're in crisis this morning, if you're hurting this morning, if, if things have not gone well, and you know people are praying for you, and you suddenly feel comforted, the person doing the comforting is the Holy Spirit. Sent from the Father through the agency of the Son to comfort those who are His. Many of us recognize that place. We've been comforted before. That's one of the great names of the Holy Spirit is Comforter. Other side of the coin, He's also the convictor of sin. You ever had the Holy Spirit bump you, nod you, push you? Ah, 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 ah. Right? He is the convictor of sin. In John uh, 14 through 17, you get both of these titles, opposite sides of the coin. One, he comforts. The other, he convicts. He tells you. He irritates your spirit. He lets you know when you've done something wrong and you've got to repent and get back right. How do you know where to go back to? The Holy Spirit tells you. So, it, it, very important. Uh, he also has the names of the depositor or the seal or the earnest. How do we know we're saved? Scripture says we know we're saved. We know that we are sons and daughters of the King by the deposit God has put in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. How does that happen? Through the agency of the Holy Spirit. That's one of his names is he's deposited within us. So it's kind of weird to run from him because wherever you go, there you is. Right? Think about that once. It's a little Wisconsinese there for you. He is the guide. How many of you prayed? Oh, Lord, what, where do we go? What do we do? What do we? Right? And by the way, did, journey, did the journey ever look the way you thought it would look? <laughs> no, right? But who led you? Well, certainly the Word, but right? It was the Holy Spirit. He's our guide. Also, some other names. He's the indweller. He is also the intercessor. Scripture says that he intercedes with the Father with groans that are too strong for words. There, aren't even, there isn't even a language for the way that he's interceding for us. So this morning as we're here, he's interceding for us right now for Norfolk Community Church. But not just Norfolk, all of the churches in Mill Creek. And not just the churches in Mill Creek, but all the churches in the Northwest. And not just all the churches in the Northwest, but all the churches in the United States. And not just all the churches in the United States, but all the churches in the world. The Holy Spirit is interceding for the church of Christ with groans that are too strong for words. He is the greatest intercessor in the universe. And when you say, well, I don't know, he's not really helping me. Solomon in Second Chronicles, I was just reading, he built the temple. And he says something that's really intuitive that we have more insight to today than he had back then. He says... You, God, cannot be contained by heaven or the highest heavens. Now, I'm sure Solomon didn't have a telescope back then. But we have telescopes, we have Hubble, we have all this stuff. We now understand that the highest of heavens is way beyond what Solomon could have comprehended with his mind. Here's the problem. It's way beyond what we could complicate, con contemplate with our mind. The universe doesn't contain God. God contains the universe. So who are we dealing with here? I suggest to people most of the time we have no idea. He is so beyond. How do we connect with Him? Because He graciously gives us His Holy Spirit. 
to connect with them. Intercessor. He's also called the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ. He's called the Spirit of Life. He's called the Teacher. Jesus said, it is, will be good if I leave because when I leave, I will bring you a helper and he will, what? Teach you. He will remind you. So when, when we're doing church, we need to remember it's important that I'm up front because God instituted this crazy, goofy thing we call preaching and I better do a good job. But it's not really Steve teaching. If it is, we're all in a lot of trouble. All right? Just know that. What has to happen? As I go through the Word, as I sit with the Word, and you guys are having quiet times, isn't it amazing you come in church and God goes, and He connects the quiet times, and you're like, how in the world did He do that? Well, He did that through His Holy Spirit. You're sitting listening to a message, and I'm talking, and all of a sudden, you and God bump, and off you go. You don't hear the rest of the message. You're tracking on this thing. Who's having the conversation? You and the Holy Spirit. See, this is God's territory, God's turf, not our turf. And when I say, many times you hear me, Lord, walk among us. Who am I asking to walk among us? I'm asking the Holy Spirit to walk among us, to have a conversation with us. He's also called the witness. One of his names is the witness, that he would be the witness for the Lord Jesus. And that witness is implanted in us. Therefore, we are to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus as well. All right, let's move along. A lot more that could be said there. Let's look at the roles for the Holy Spirit. He is called the Spirit of Truth. Why did Jesus get so upset when the Pharisees said that he had a wicked spirit? Because they were saying that the Holy Spirit lies. And Jesus got offended. Because the Holy Spirit is not a liar. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He cannot lie. And so our only hope is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and speaks the truth to us. He's the author of Scripture. You often get this idea. Well, we'll let the charismatics have the Holy Spirit. We'll take the Bible. Ever heard that? All right, now stop and think about that for a second. Is the Bible alive without the Holy Spirit? Matter of fact, who's the author of the Bible? Scripture says it is what? God breathed or Spirit breathed. The Holy Spirit brings the life to the Bible. That's why sometimes uh, you ever read the Bible and nothing, right? Chalk dust, toast, dry wheat, right? And then you realize, man, I botched it this week. I sinned. No wonder the Lord isn't connecting me. Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned against you. I'm sorry. I should have known. And then you read and it comes alive. What's the difference? Relationship with the Holy Spirit. By the way, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon those authors of the Bible and moved men as the Holy Spirit led them. Just like a ship uh, has a sail and the wind fills the sail and sends the boat where it's supposed to go. The Holy Spirit filled those men and gave them what they were supposed to write. And so we have the Word of God. Can the Word of God exist separate from the Holy Spirit? No. The written Word and the living Word, are the it's together. It's synchronized. Enough on that. 
He's the sanctifier. How did, how did we get cleaned up? Did we get cleaned up because of good moral imperatives? Did we get cleaned up because, oh, we went so long, we were, we were idiots and dumbbells, but now we're wise and smart and godly? How, how do we clean our act up? Matter of fact, who cleans our act up? Did you clean your act up? If you did, you're a much better person than me. Okay? I was a wreck. Who cleaned my act up? The Holy Spirit cleaned my act up. And he's still scrubbing me. Okay? We'll talk more about that next week. One of the most beautiful terms in the Bible is this one. He's the anointer. Talks about the anointing of the Lord coming upon a person. That's one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture of oil coming down and dripping off the beard, literally off the beard. And, but the presence of the living God, when the prophets would anoint the old kings of Israel, they would anoint them as king. Right? Many of us uh, know what it's like to be anointed for what God has asked us to do. It's a beautiful picture of being enabled. He's also, these two we talked about, so we'll go past them a little bit, but he's the illuminator or the revealer. Ever read a passage where you've read it a hundred times? You're going through it and all of a sudden it jumps out at you and you're like stuck and going, oh my gosh, how did I never see this? Ever had one of those, right? How does that get illuminated? It gets illuminated by the Holy Spirit. How does Scripture get revealed to us? It gets revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Are you getting the point here that we have to take the Holy Spirit more seriously than what we do half the time? It's just not Father and Son. That's not the equation we're given. Go and baptize nations in my name, in the name of the Father and the Son, and make disciples. Is that how it works? It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's the wooer. He's the drawer. He helps draw us. He is the author of the gifts. Here's where we get worried. Right? Uh Uh-oh, the gifts. We better be afraid of the gifts. You know, when my wife or kids bring me presents, I never once think they're going to give me a bad gift. Why? Because they love me. I know they're thinking of me. And I know that's true in your families as well. Why would the Father who loves us give us bad gifts through His Spirit? You see how we take the Holy Spirit out of the equation as a person? Make Him a thing? We make Him an it? We make Him a force? We make a, We don't make Him a person. He's a person. He's also the author of the fruit. So if you don't think you need the Holy Spirit, let's kill that idea right now, alright? I'm going to crush that sucker like a Pop can. He's the spirit of love. How many of you are good at loving? Jeff's going like this. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Obviously, it's a catch-22 question. Why does Jesus spend two-thirds of the New Testament telling us that we have to love one another? What does he know about us that we don't know about ourselves? We're bad at it. Why does he have to keep reminding us to love each other? Because most of the time we don't. We fall into our lower nature. We get snarky. We get snarly. We get... Right? (laughs) All we got to do is put you on a road, put you in a crowded place, put you in a grocery line that's going too slow, get a credit card that doesn't work. I mean, just list a dozen different things and we're irk-ticked and we are fleshly, nasty. Grumble, complain. And what does the Holy Spirit say? Oh, you need to love your enemies. 
can't love that idiot. He cut me off. Oh, yeah, you can. Oh, what does the Holy Spirit do? He, he gives us fruit to love. Okay, that, you're not convinced on that one? How about joy? How about joy? Right? Not just joy when things are going good, but how about joy when things are going bad? How about I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate how I react and I'm going to choose the joy of the Lord and I'm going to let the joy of the Lord be my strength. I tell joy is a choice. What's that choice? The choice is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because under tough circumstances, my flesh does not want to choose joy. My flesh wants to choose all the things I just ended up talking to you about. Okay? I want to punch somebody into the middle of the next week. That's not exactly the joy of the Lord. I have to choose joy. That comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives me the ability to choose joy in the midst of that. Still not convinced? All right. How about patience? You all got patience down? You ever find yourself impatient? That's known as irritated, irascible, frustrated. Add a bunch of words to that. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, and patience. See, what I'm suggesting is, and we're going to come back to this next week, we've, we've miscalibrated on some stuff. And I was thinking this way already, and then... I heard another message that really clarified it and we're going to walk through that uh, next week. So we'll, we'll come back to some of this stuff. But let's go back to Jesus for just a second. As I mentioned, there are very few places where Jesus gets his feathers ruffled. But the one place where he does, where you see him react, where he gets uh, his ire kicked up and uh, he gets angry is when people slandered the spirit by which he was able to do his miracles. He got upset really quick and intensely. What does this tell us? It tells us that the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit was every bit as close and important as the relationship between the Father and the Son. Let me stop for a second. Let me say that again. What it tells us is that the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit is every bit as close and as important as the relationship between the Father and the Son. Look at what Jesus says. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So then my question this morning is, wouldn't it be equally true that if we love Jesus, we would also love the Holy Spirit. Why do we flinch when the Holy Spirit's mentioned? Remember back to the beginning of the message? Why do we flinch? We have been conditioned to run towards the Father, towards Jesus, and away from the Holy Spirit. That somehow... He is not on par or equal with the Father or Son and should be avoided because He's weird, but the Father and Son are normal. And I want to suggest to you that's really dangerous. Listen to me. Jesus didn't react to that very well when the Pharisees did it, and I don't think He's going to react very well to us when we do it. Look at what Jesus says. 
John 16, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's talking about disciples here. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that He, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and He will declare it to you. The reason we have life as a church, we have life as individuals that we can be born again is because of this ministry of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, uh, Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And that's why churches always practice that. They would stand up and they would recite creeds and they would recite things like this. Why? Because when you recited these things, you knew that you were saying them in the Holy Spirit. I think we should say that. We're going to say that this morning. Jesus is Lord, right? With me. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Okay, do that again. It feels good, right? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Louder. Come on, that's bad. Here we go. Let's get into this. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. All right? Here's the thing. We can't say that apart from the Holy Spirit. It's really important. John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So Jesus says He's sending us the Holy Spirit as a gift. He's sending the Holy Spirit to us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and they're going to lead us in a fantastic song to this. And we're going to come back to this topic next week. But I want to close with this question. After all I've said this morning, let's end it with this thought. Why would we not love our helper? If Jesus says, I go away and I will send the helper to you, why would we not love our helper? I want you to think about that, process that this week. I want you to... uh, wrestle with your thoughts this week. But let's pray, all right? Father, as as we've opened up this topic, you know the edges of this thing. You know where we struggle. You know the control issues involved. You know um, our fears and, and our insecurities. You know how we bounce against that. And you know how we ricochet between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I do that too. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we need to be careful. That you are very tight and very close with the Holy Spirit and that as you have gone to be in heaven with the Father, you have sent the Spirit, our tangible personal connection, our relational connection to your kingdom is our helper, the Holy Spirit. May we find ourselves running towards you this week that way, not away from you. We ask this in your name. Amen.